the Cogent Code podcast, logical and convincing, a deep dive into the standards and rules we live by in today's society. I'm your host, Akil Bechtimba, and my co-host is Sia Parker. So um, today we have a special guest, um, Mo. Um, hello, hello. Hi, Mo. So we're going to talk about um, social justice today and the justice system and how it affects people of color um, and as always, we looked that up in the Urban Dictionary and under social justice, uh, the one I liked was promoting tolerance, freedom and equality for all people, regardless of race, sex, orientation, na- uh, national origin, handicap, etc. But, you know, as the, or- uh, the Urban Dictionary always says, they wanted to accept except for white people, which I don't agree with. I think it should be for everyone. But. Obviously, white straight males um, have a um, privilege of already getting justice, I think. And I think that the author of this particular uh, definition probably um, thought that way. What do you think, Ma? Um, I do agree with you as far as uh, justice. If you're going to have justice as it is defined by like a legal justice, then it has to be fair and free for all. Uh, Social justice it's a different thing. Social justice um, is what the crowd or the majority of people sees right morally and then wants justice for it. So uh, Urban Dictionary doesn't say that, but it says justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Benjamin Franklin. Um, I don't necessarily agree with you having to be outraged, but I do think that social justice and justice should go hand in hand as far as. Um, creation of law, mm. creation of law. But if the law is already defined, then I don't really know necessarily if social justice has to exclude white males. I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it's all. <laughs> I mean, what, fr- from your perspective, right? But yeah. I think that um, the justice system itself, which I think we're going to delve in today a little deeper, is. It, it you know it, it's a system set up. It's obviously not perfect. Um, there's a lot of flaws in, uh, with the justice system. I think uh, intentionally it was probably there um, to keep um, you know folks that were what we will define as criminals, although I, I use that term uh, loosely, but um, incarcerated or away from the general public. Um, but I think that over time, and I and think historically, we've seen that. The way that the system is, at least in the United States, which is what we're going to um, speak on today, unless mm-hmm. we we take a um, a detour to other justice systems, mm-hmm. but mainly we're going to focus on the United States and just kind of over time how the idea of justice eroded, right? And how it kind of affects us now, the definition of social justice as opposed to unbiased justice, uh, meaning that if we were a colorless, genderless um, state, uh, country, whatever it may be, this is how the law should be applied as opposed to how it is applied now and when it was written, even worse then. So that's the kind of point of views I'm going to be going over, and we're going to probably have some great discussions on that uh, with some upcoming things. Okay. So some quotes we looked up also, I think – Everybody probably is familiar with injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, in the civil rights movement that he was um, leading um, in the 1960s uh, and today, I think there's a sense of injustice um, that at least in the Black Lives Matter movement um, is you know prevalent and, and at the forefront right now. So I think that quote is pretty relevant even today. And then the second quote we have is true freedom requires the rule of law and justice and the just, just the judicial system in which the rights of not secured by cannot be secured by the denial of the rights of others. Mm-hmm. So all of these j- quotes on justice, I think are interesting that we're pulling out because all of them contrast with injustice, right? I, well, I have one from one of my favorite civil rights leaders. He's absolutely my favorite. It's kind of how I um, I debate and where I learned that from. It's James Baldwin. 
Mm-hmm. It says, if one really wishes to know how justice is administered in a country, one does not question the policemen, the lawyers, the judges, or the protected members of the middle class. One goes to the unprotected, those precisely who need laws protection the most, and listens to their testimony. And I think that's kind of relevant in our society right now. And that's where like things like the Black Lives Matter movement or justice for the multiple people who have been... Um, wronged by our justice system. It's that the justice system that we have in place is indeed to protect those of middle class and higher based on representation ability, based on a lot of things. And that's where social justice is coming into play because I think that people are tired of of the unequal treatment of people based on, on class. And I have to say based on class because even if you look at OJ, for instance, he had the best kind of representation and his race really mattered, but it didn't matter after the month. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I think that, yeah, that's one of the quotes that I like from uh, Mr. Baldwin. Yeah. So um, for the listeners who have listened to other podcasts, um, obviously I have a law degree. And when I uh, went to law school, I thought I was going to be a sports agent. Um, That didn't work out. And now I work in telecom. So really, really didn't work out. But what I did when I first exited law school is I worked for the Los Angeles Public Defender's Office, and I did that for a little over a year. Um, First, I worked in the adult courts. I worked in the Torrance Court, um, Court on Hill Street, and I also worked um, in in downtown. Uh, And then I moved on to the Juvenile Justice um, Center, which was in South Central. Mm. And also I've shared with the listeners before I grew up in Orange County, uh, starkly different from working in South Central as is my first job um, out of law school. But um, one of the things I think um, public defenders do, they do get a bad rap sometimes because I think that truly a lot of people enter into um, that line of work to help people, right? They, they think they're going to help people. And, and for me, I think I came to the realization pretty quickly. One, I don't think I was really built for that line of work. I was getting very um, depressed, I Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. about some of the things that I was seeing, some of the cases that I was taking on. And especially when I got down to that juvenile justice center, um, the clients that I had were the the, the kids, right, of South Central. And, um, you know, w- when you're a new lawyer, um, what happens is, is that instead of just looking at the facts of the case, you really want to know why. Mm-hmm. Why why did you do this? Um, and, and, and the kids' stories were just, they were just really sad a, a lot of the time. You know, and, but I, but I learned very quickly that, um, the justice system was creating, and I know people aren't going to like to hear me say this, but they were creating um, career criminal criminals oh, by absolutely. putting a child in a system. Some of my clients were as young as 12 yeah. and they would first um, just to describe it. And then I'm going to ask you what you think about it. First, they would, um, the child could be on a, what was kind of like a probation mm-hmm. um, with a first offense, depending on what the offense was. And then, the court would monitor their attendance at school Mm -hmm. and they would maybe sometimes put them in in some kind of program. Um, And then if that individual offended again, Mm -hmm. they would then put them in normally a group home. Mm -hmm. And then if the individual offended again, while they were still a minor, they would put them into a juvenile hall Mm -hmm. and then so on and so forth. Uh, during their, their young life. Um, but if you could imagine in that track that I'm kind of describing when you're, you're being watched and say you have poverty, like I think you mentioned earlier, that mm-hmm. poverty is a defining line and you have to take the bus to school or the city bus or you miss the bus or you're being taken care of by your grandparents or, or there's so many reasons why you might not get to school on time. And that becomes a a ding on you and you have to show back up in court. And that is what leads you to go into a group home where there's no kids different than say the, and I I look at this from, um, I'm not, I'm neither completely liberal or conservative. Um, and my background for those who don't know is, um, I used to, my family had a bail bonding company 
and you are responsible for getting people out and you're also responsible for securing their uh, appearance in court. And once that doesn't happen, you have to either go collect them through bounty hunters or you have to get them to come back in. That being said, we had to go to court a lot. And so when it comes to, and I've watched a lot of black men and women, white men, white women, I've loved a lot of people in that courtroom. And you think to yourself, which one of those is me if I have to go to court? And that's from a non-lawyer perspective. So with mm-hmm. the children, um, having to follow up with people, poverty, first of all, let's just say that poverty is going to create, um, as James Baldwin say, he says, um, if I'm hungry and you have food, then you are indeed in danger. Poverty creates a criminal much faster than, say, um, choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, just regular choice. So yeah. the kids enter a system that is meant to trap them. Um, and if they trap you from a young, a young age, then you're saying the conservative way of thinking is your parents need to get on it. You need to change your life. You need that. The real, the real way it's applied is if I come from poverty and I'm struggling to feed my child, that means my present isn't, my presence isn't always there. Now, how can I best raise my child without presence? And that's the thing. So your kid has more exposure to, say, negative aspects as opposed to having after school programs. And even in the after school programs, there are kids who are there who have uh, different exposure to them. And we'll put them to this. So I think that the kids who um, reenter the court system and reenter, I think that's um, that's a that's a good example of poverty being one of the many, many um problems with us with judges uh, justice and um and criminalization of people especially in the black community especially in the black and brown community i would agree with that i would agree with that and then you know um you know just watching the kids go through the system um sometimes uh, my clients um would be maybe associated with like you said there was no one at home so mm-hmm. the neighborhood was watching them right yeah. and there could have been older um, influences in the neighborhood, and I. But I, can I say there yeah. are some badass kids out there. Though. Oh no, it's not badass. Like yes. some people need to be in jail. I'm gonna put that out there. Like yeah. just because you are poverty, don't mean that you you're good. Like sometimes your ass needs to be in jail because you are that person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But you know when when you're when they would hang out with the older kids. I remember I had one client that um, he had a, a gun, mm-hmm. right, and he got caught with a, a gun, and he I think he was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him, mm-hmm. well, why were you holding the gun? And what people may not know is in, in a gang culture, mm-hmm. if the other folks in the gang have more risk of going to jail for a longer period of time mm-hmm. and they're indoctrinating a younger person, they oftentimes will have them hold the weapons mm-hmm. because if they get caught, they're going to get something, a much lesser charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a way for them to kind of, you know, start that mentality that th- that the kid can feel tough. And this is a stripe. You go to jail, you get a stripe. You get to become one of us. Yeah. Um, really, kind of sad because it's it's. I think you're at 13 years old. Like you said, there are some kids that are just bad, and they they know exactly what they might be doing. Absolutely. And there's some kids that are just lonely and have no one really watching over them. Well, so I had to, and this is a little off the subject, but I had to debate. Um, I debate both liberals and conservatives the same. Someone had shared uh, Candace Owen video with me saying that black people need to change their culture if they're going to change, say, um, poverty or, um, you know, an ideal of glorifying criminals um, in our in our thing and our um, in our society. And I think that subject is something that we should touch on just that alone, like um, you should do that maybe on another podcast or something like that culture and, and how it affects us. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I, I think, yeah. Candace Owens and all her wisdom. Well, here's the thing. She wasn't wrong when she says that there needs to be a shift in black culture. Yes. How she, Candace Owens is, I went to a white and black school. Candace Owens is the white, is the black kid who went to a white school and got a pat on the head and was told you're different. And she started taking that, and that was her fuel to to kind of be special. And so, yes, she is black. Mm-hmm. She is educated. But her need for white acceptance is what makes her the entity. Uh, so, But she wasn't wrong. But in that thing, where does culture come from? 
culture comes from what TV. You see TV, you see movies, especially black culture. Black culture has always been made out of slavery. There was no culture out of slavery. That's not, you know, American black culture. That being said, culture, even black culture, eventually comes from white executives. Who decides what's seen on TV, right? That being said, like when a white kid looks at, uh, say, TV, he sees a future. He sees someone who has a blue-collar job even, a white-collar job, Wall Street. These are options for him, him or her. When a black child looks on TV, it's either the cooning, an all-black movie, which won't exist in the white world that he's trying to strive to go into, so he's learning right there that it won't be accepted, or he's the criminal. And these are the things that you have as a black child to look at. Uh, you Then you turn on the music. The music is what? Yeah, you can say rappers need to stop rapping about that, but Black people are natural R&B lovers. This is really what we like. This is our culture, jazz, R&B. At some point, the music executives realized that this music wasn't going to cross over. This was only going to make a limited amount of money. And we don't know how to push it to white people. And then they learned that the hip hop, as soon as white people started jumping on that, were it was making the most money. So what you hear on TV or on the radio now comes from white executive producers who approve of this song on the album or their higher ups. That being said, culture, black culture is heavily influenced by or made by white money. And if you put that into a criminalization kind of thing, where do these people, why don't they make the right choice? Why don't options have to be seen? Now, how are the options seen if they're not seen? Well, yeah, I'm going to take it a a little bit further than that. I think that it it, is wealth and accumulation of wealth in this country Mm -hmm. is is based on what you own and what you have. And if you came from a history in particular, we're going to talk about black people. If you came from a history of slavery Mm -hmm. and Jim Crow laws Mm -hmm. and um, when you did have communities that were wealthy and affluent, they were burned or pillaged or Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much gotten rid of, right? Um, over time, or if you were a sharecropper after you were a slave and you were not allowed to really, you were allowed to work the land in order, in, in order to live there, mm-hmm. you already started with a lack of accumulation Absolutely. of items, right? And historically, Black people are less likely to receive a loan for a home. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, used to be a written law. Exactly. And if wealth is generational. Right. Yeah. So although I agree that your points are very valid, that I think there has to be a cultural shift. I think many of us have learned or not learned, right? Mm-hmm. Things about how we accumulate or bring ourselves out of poverty from either examples, like you said, mm-hmm. that you get to see or inf- influences in your life, parents and, and other people who may have accumulated or or wanted something better for you and accumulated some things in their own life and taught you either how to do it yourself or you have to learn it from the outside. Mm -hmm. Now that's not an excuse because I do think that people have the ability to learn, Mm -hmm. but I think knowing where to get that information and having access to that information on top of accumulating wealth over a generational period, Mm -hmm. I think has definitely left led to what could be, um, at the core of kind of her statement, even though that's not what she's saying. I think Mm -hmm. she's speaking about today's culture and maybe that people will tend to spend money on purses and shoes and clothes and things like that. But my, my argument with them is because anytime you talk to white people, I shouldn't say white people, conservative people, because there are a lot of liberal people of all races that understand. Anytime you talk to a conservative person, they say, well, you didn't grow up on a shade on a, Sharecropper, like you came from money, you went to school, you did this. Uh, that's not happening now. What's your reason now? Because everything that they do seems to, they like to make it seem like there's an excuse, like we're making some sort of excuse. And so, what I would say is, um, that's why I said what I said is because um, the one of the things that I say about white privilege, and no one really addresses this, is the belief in yourself. You're, even if your parents are shitty, you can look on screen, on the radio, on this and say, I am not going to do that. I'm going to be here. Now, what's, what's, name me, if I told you to name me 
five really successful black people. I can promise you at least three of them, maybe four, are going to be rappers, actors, or athletes. You're going to name me Barack Obama, and then you're going to say Jay-Z. You're going to say this. Like, a lot of people will. Not you. I know you. You know. But, like, how many people do you know that know them? Even white people. When you ask them, name me five really affluent black people who really made it on their own steam. They're going to tell you rappers and actors. Now, take that and look at the black kid. Take that mentality. That's what he sees. I'm either going to rap. I'm going to act. But all the middle class opportunities and things that he should say, I'm going to go to Wall Street. I'm going to go do this. Those are not available. That's the that's part of the privilege of white. You can always see an example of where you want to go somewhere, whereas black culture limits you to uh, you have a category of like seven things. And the rest of it, you have to fight through white people telling you you act uh, white. You're not really black and black people telling you you're not a part of the neighborhood because you're this way. And then there's a lot of things that come with overcoming a culture that was made to keep black people down through slavery and still is there through, uh, I say through granting movie projects through higher ups. That's why when you see black people on TV, it's Hey, what you doing? I'm going to do this. Oh, hi. And when they're hosting, it's always somebody like this cooning. It's never just this man like Alex Trebek. You don't see that as a black, you don't see a black. Alex Trebek. I definitely think that um, there, those, those are valid points. I think that, you know, we have to do better uh, as a black culture and owning our own um, opportunities. Mm. Right. Uh, Tyler Perry is a good example of someone who has ventured off and created uh, an empire. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much to employ and to change the, the legacy of what can be. Right. Mm-hmm. Although I think still because we're used to seeing certain things and, and one of our episodes that just was released was uh, superheroes versus villains. And we talked about Chadwick Boseman, Mm -hmm. but we also talked about his portrayal of very strong, um, you know, Thurgood Marshall, Mm -hmm. um, Jackie Robinson, um, obviously James James Brown. Brown. Um, And we talked about the, his, and then the black Panther. Um, So we, we talked about the portrayal of, um, of, of, of real characters that we could see ourselves in right okay. in, in that particular um, um, episode. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that if you don't see it, you don't know you can be it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I did talk about kind of like how black Panther came out, out after uh, pre- the pre- president Obama left office, but it was, um, it was a, a, a place where we had a tremendous amount of pride seeing us uh, ourselves in different aspects of life and, and to your point, not as an athlete or, or a rapper, but in, in some place where all our kid knew mm-hmm. that's the president of the United States and you could be that too, because mm-hmm. you, not our kid, because we don't have a kid, no, but, no, you're but our kids children, could, our see children that, yeah, children, yeah. could, could see them, in, you know, and see that. But on the flip side of that, and mm-hmm. to get back to the, the kind of the justice situation, mm-hmm. it's that our kids can also see what's going on in America right now. Absolutely. And they can also see that um, we are really struggling as a race to define ourselves um, as human, right? In this moment, right? As, as wanting, needing, and deserving of the same type of respect as any other person would. And the same amount of outrage when something happens Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem, you know, quite right. And and to me, one thing that really bothers me is when somebody dies at the hands of the police, mm-hmm. Brianna Taylor's, uh, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, mm-hmm. the question that I hear come out a lot is what did they do? Like the, as though the victim, uh, there has to be some dirt that you've got to catch on the victim oh, to true. validate the, the fact that whatever happened to them was unjust. Well, right? they, they like to break your character down. That's a, that's definitely a conservative thing to say that if you did something five years ago, then, you know, this guy had warrants. He had this. He beat his mom. He beat this. And so he deserved that shooting. I mean, the parallel would be to rape, right? They were asking, right. what did the what women wear? Exactly. Where did, what alley did you go town? Why that's... were you in the dark? As though the victim should be blamed and not the person who actually was the offender. They don't take things. And this is where I encourage like anyone who's listening, anybody I talk to keep 
the conservative people on track right now. Always. If you're going to debate with them, take your emotions out. So if you're going to say, what was the guy's name? Shot in his car. I forget his name. All right. So you're taking anybody. Like, what did the person do now? Take the past out of it. And. Oh, I know. Yeah. So social justice kind of going back to it has become. I don't know. I don't want to say, but like, what do you, what do you want to say about like how, where it's at? Like, I'm, I'm really, I'm both sided with this because I know the fight for social justice is the fight for change and it needs to happen, but it is without proper, it's without a proper path of logic of explanation for legislation that should be passed or for an understanding of Like, I feel like it's more emotional. This is right. This is wrong. So when someone wants to ask why, if you can. Yeah. You know. I think what you're saying and, and kind of what I feel is that the, 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 the fight right now, um, as far as injustice, although I do think what is being requested or asked is, is not, um, wrong, right. It, it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. However, I, I do not think that justice comes swiftly no. and I do think that it needs to be broken down and, and it can't be an, an extremism, right? Because, in order for us to be able to move all the way to acceptance on both sides, because this country is made for both sides of the, of the fence, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to in small increments, break things down, right? You cannot go from black lives matter to defund the police as your, your extreme view of it, because it gives the right for people who do not Mm -hmm. agree with, the, just the scent without looking, because I'm going to be honest, people. I mean, I don't want to offend anyone, but what when you have a discussion about somebody mm-hmm. and the sound bites that they break off, it's usually from something else that they regurgitated. It's not because they did their own research or they actually know anything deeply on the topic, which really bothers me. So when you label something like, not that I don't agree with some of the principles in the defunding the police type of uh, argument. The fact is that you called it defunding the police, which to someone who doesn't read, oh, God. right, they're going to say, well, okay. you don't want law and order. Mm. And I don't, I've said this before, but I don't think that that people in America right now, and not all people, so I don't want to offend anybody, but a lot of people in America are really used to getting a soundbite or a small piece of what what Fox news says or what CNN says, and they run with it and not really looking at statistical Mm -hmm. information or even any research, their source that they're getting the information from could be flawed, biased. It doesn't matter, but it's not a deep, deep um, understanding. And so not that you can't have an opinion, but if, if you don't have a deep understanding, but I do think that you can't really stand in your, Laurels, this is what it is. If you really don't understand, I want to. I want to go back to one thing you said, though, and I'm gonna. Like, I'm not necessarily agreeing. There's, there's a word that you use that I don't like. Okay, it's the word extreme. Okay, because to some people, going from this to that is not extreme more than needed, and extreme seems to be when you are on the other side of change. So I don't like the word extreme for me, but I understand. So when you say extreme in this society. It creates a division right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I try not to use that. So I understand exactly what you're saying, but I wouldn't say that it was extreme jump. I say that it's a jump that needs to be handled with the proper provisions. Um, that being said, you are absolutely right. It doesn't. It doesn't come overnight, and you have to know what you're asking for. Most of the people that I talk to don't even know what defund the police means. They think it just means what? To, no more police officers. No more police officers. It doesn't mean that at all. I know. It means, all right, well, it's... I you and I it. know that, but yeah. but what I, I, I think you, you're making my point in, in whether you like extremism or not. Mm. I'm just saying that not that the end result shouldn't be what we're asking for. I just think that if you want mm. it to be a movement that people that are not already mm. believing that that's what should be mm-hmm. come along with you, yes. you've got to be able to meet them where they are, mm-hmm. right? And bring them to some kind of understanding. And otherwise, I feel like, not that it won't be effective because it depends, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think what you do is you, you're you you're sweeping the, the middle 
America type of just normal person that, you know, has a brother that's in law enforcement or, or, you know what I mean? I, I think you're, 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 it's too sweeping, right. And in, in its approach. And I, I don't think it catches some of the people that we do need to bring along if we want change to truly occur. This is kind of going back to what you said with the sound bites. One of the biggest problems I see in this country, and this is, I guess, personal for me and I, it's not personal for me, but I always try to tell people this are sound bites and headlines. Now, I read once during the Me Too movement that it was like black women feel angry because they weren't right. They weren't included or they felt like they were being excluded. That being said, and this is a social justice thing. That being said, who wrote that article? I hear polls about disapproval of of presidents and all that. I never I never get polled. I don't know anyone who gets polled. And that's a soundbite as a headline. Black women mad at this people doing this written by one person who's sitting in his fucking room. It needs to catch people. And just, it. It, it has to catch that. Like mm-hmm. it's got to get people's mind. Someone blasted, someone devastated this. And this person does this and angered by this. These are all headlines written by one person that seem to represent the masses, but they don't. And then people catch that and they say, well, what are they angry for? Well, what are these people angry for? Oh, they don't care. Oh, these people don't care. And then the division is created even more and more. And I think that the soundbite and headline um, trend in our country. And if you say, and there people are running out of toilet paper, boom, that's a headline. What do people do? Toilet paper is running out and you show like a sound or a clip of someone fighting. Damn, I should go get some fucking toilet paper <laughs> because they're about to run out clearly just in case. Now think about that. And that goes back to, advertisement and media being able to affect you so much that your actions change. Well, there's, and I brought this up on on another podcast, but there's a Netflix special called social dilemma. Mm -hmm. And it it shows that algorithms and Mm -hmm. other ways we're using social media right now, Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much are catering to the, to the user and reinforcing whatever they hear. A lot of people feel that Alexa's and Google Homes and your phone at this point mm-hmm. is got AI algorithms. And, and next thing you know, you have an ad pop- popping up. And what people also don't realize is that you're clicking on and giving consent yeah. for these advertisements when you're joining these social media when platforms. you read the headline, Trump does this, and you click on it because it's a negative Trump headline, and they have already clocked that you love the negative ones more than the positive ones. On the right side of that fucking page is every advertisement that you looked up for the or whatever they know, but that's what it's about. And so these articles are put there, and you're given these articles so they can be extreme, so advertisement works. So it's, it has nothing to do with even like the subject at hand, because I've clicked on articles that... It's like, oh, okay, who cares? That's that's all. But on the side is that that damn advertisement. Yeah. So, all right. Let, let's talk let's, a little bit okay. about, and, and I have some information that I gathered from two sources. One was the NAACP. I was looking for information about um, just how black people um, and versus people, other people of color are treated when they're stopped by the police. I was looking for state prisons because the your criminal system um, normally is being um, dictated by the state in which you live. Mm-hmm. Um, but a black person is five times more likely to be stopped without just cause than a white person. Mm-hmm. And a, a black man is two times as likely to be stopped without just cause than a black woman. 65% of black adults have felt targeted because of their race. Mm-hmm. Similar, similarly, 35% of Latino and Asian adults have also felt targeted because of their race. So, I bring all this up to say and kind of ask you if you are more likely to be stopped, if you're more likely to be targeted, are you more likely to end up having, uh, uh, you know, going to jail? Okay. So I'm, I'm in the middle of this and a lot of people are not going to like what I have to say. And that's fine. As it is what it is. I'm always going to give you a logical approach. Now, if I get pulled over today and This is where conservatives always say, well, you know, if you don't do this and you don't do that and they're wrong, but they're right and they're wrong. And liberals, I say, if I get pulled over today as a black man and I've got pulled out of my car 
and I've gotten manhandled by a black officer, and I've gotten talked to by a white officer where I thought I was going to get manhandled. And what I know is this. At some point, you have to look at the police as, as jackers. They are there to rob you, regardless of what you think. This is their job is to collect revenue for a county so that they can have money for so whatever the county is going to do. You can't look at them as agents of soul, as justice. That doesn't work that way. Justice is not served by the police officers, served by the court. They are there to help the court collect money. That being said, where do you make your most money? You make it by time served. You also fulfill contracts. So your question was? Whether or not you think that people that are targeted or stopped more likely than the police mm. by the police are more likely to go to jail. I think that if I'd like to assign black people the responsibility of keeping your emotions in check during a stop. And I say that because you are going to be stopped. We know this. Now, when you start to, when you start to get out of a logical path and going into emotional, why are you stopping me? I ain't do nothing, blah, blah, blah. You're about to give this person a reason and you don't know who this person is. Now they do think of their own futures when they pull you over one, having had to bounty hunt in my life. And I hated it. I didn't like putting people in jail at all, but you go to put some people in jail and you enter a neighborhood that you don't know. And the truth is there are some people in there that will you up. You know what I mean? That will shoot you that. And I can't determine at this point if you're one of them. So as a police officer who is naturally afraid of you, they pull you over afraid of you. And they their their training is to take the power back from you. So once he's afraid of you, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to get emotional and start moving and all that kind of good stuff? Because if you're going to do that, then I think that you are most likely going to trigger his training to deal with a more uncontrollable person. So at that point, I think you are more likely to go and get arrested and go to jail. Because once you start spreading out your rise, if you keep yourself calm, I think you have a less likely choice. But I, I, at this point in the country, I think that the, the people who are racist are racist. Um, and if they're going to take you to jail, they're going to take you to jail. Just protect your life. So when I was looking up some of the statistics too, what I thought was super important to, to realize is that, you know, some people will say, well, you know, more black people commit crimes so that therefore they're in jail. Um, that, that is uh, that disproportionately um, to the amount of, um, of what we are in the population. Mm -hmm. There's 22% of, of black people that normally go to jail. Uh, out of the total prison population at this point. But what I wanted to point out is in federal prisons, which people would consider more what white collar crimes, mm -hmm. uh, there's 1.5% of Asian Americans currently in prison in 2020. This is from the BOP of federal prisons. That's That equals 2,345 people. Black people, 59,669, 38.4%. Mm -hmm. Native, Native Americans at 3,654, uh, that's 2.4% of Native Americans. And white people, it's 89,902, which is 57.7% of the federal prison population, at, actually as of September 19th of 2020, mm -hmm. are white people. And I say that to say is that I think that they're – is a, there is a, a perception, I think, among state prisons, um, the, the populations are, are a little bit different. But federal prisons obviously are representing um, different races in, in, in a way where um, if, if you looked at the statistics without looking at the total population count, um, it would appear that white people commit crimes uh, at a higher rate oh. than other races. Um, oh. but mm -hmm. one thing I think you have to consider is how many uh, white people make up 60% of the total population of the, uh, of the United States at this point, mm -hmm. And the rest of the races make up the, the rest of the population with black people. Well, also about 12%. I'd say what qualifies you for a federal prison? Because most of the time that's financial 
that's that's not necessarily violent. What qualifies you for people are going to commit crimes that they have access to. Right. That's just how it goes. So if I'm in the hood, quote unquote, even if I'm in a trailer park, I'm going to do those types of crimes unless I get now if I'm in an office and I get to see a different opportunity and my mind is based on that. I'm going to commit the crimes that are going to raise my level of life unless it's a violent crime. Right. Um, So I think that that number also lets you know that the crimes that white people are prone to commit when you're hearing like the like they're prone to commit crimes that advance their life or whatever may be that 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 are around them. Whereas black people in poverty have more of a survival kind of crime or like a you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but but one of the things I thought of when I was reading that is, mm is, is it that white people commit um, white collar crimes disproportionately? I don't think it's less violent. No, not that part, but, or is it that uh, we have a higher percent of policing in urban areas? So therefore people of color at a state level Mm -hmm. would be criminalized differently than at a federal level where the federal investigation is going on, like maybe with the FBI or Mm -hmm. with a higher authority than um, your, uh, you know, your police officers that are local police officers. You ever notice that? And I had to do this in DeKalb County, Georgia, um, and they had different police units. So they would have like, the city of this, the city of this, and they would have a decap calendar. The cities usually have their own policing based on um, housing. So if you have high-end housing, that city from this district line to this district line usually has a police force of their own to help who's ever here. Um, <clears throat> I think that you are way more likely to have state or county paid instead of city um, police policing the impoverished area because there are less owned properties there. Also, um, who are you going to get to put in privatized prisons that can't get out? Because that's where your money is. Bail bonding is this. You pay, and even if you, if anybody goes to jail, you have to pay to get out, say $5,000, and you don't get that back until you go to court. You don't get that back, and you get everything back but like 10%. It might change out here, but like it's about collecting your money so that you can they can have that as interest. They build interest. They have these accounts that build interest all day. Um, and if you cannot, then they get to fulfill a contract of privatized prisons and they have to fulfill that. That's why police used to have quarters. So who's more likely to fail in all aspects and either you put white people in jail, white people vote. They're going to change the system. You put black people in jail, they're just going to put their head down and they're going to go about their business when they get out. However, they're stuck in the system. It is more practical to put more police in black neighborhoods, especially of poverty, knowing that they are going to fit the the type of person that's going to add to their um, their monetary body. Yeah, you know that I think you make an excellent point and and what I want to bring up at this point is the prison industrial complex, right? Mm-hmm. So, um for those of you who don't know what we're speaking of, um it's um the prison system has um decided to capitalize, right? The privatized prison system mm-hmm. has capitalized at at using the labor of mm-hmm. prisoners. Um, for many things, um, you know, one of the debates they just had with the California fires was that um, because of COVID, they had to let um, lesser nonviolent offenders out um, to make sure that the the populations weren't um, getting affected disproportionately in prisons with COVID. Um, and so those uh, individuals um, were firefighters, right? And they were serving as firefighters while they were in prison. And because they had less uh, people in prison, they had less firefighters and we, um, California then got set on fire and they had to make a decision um, about what to do about it. Because once the person is released, they are now a felon and they cannot be a firefighter, right. even though they have that skill. They have the skill and they've done it. Now, what did they do? The lip, I would say, what did our, what did our governor do? He said, all right, let's make it where uh, a felon can get a job based on 
he didn't say the whole thing. I guess we have to read the bill, but based on like certain qualifications, maybe nonviolent, whatever. But now in 2020, after all these years of free labor and we did let people out, now they're saying, let's give people who have had uh, criminal histories a chance. But that lets you know alone that it's a big problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a problem as far as hiring when you get out, going back into the system because you have a skill set. My cousin went to jail. He got a college degree there. Do you think he can ever use that college degree? Absolutely not. You can't even get an apartment because it says felon. What did you uh, What did you get? What'd you do? And as soon as it's anything that has to do, they can they can qualify you on the spot. They can say it's a felon. I'm not letting you in. Your life is harder. You're going to go back to jail. You're going to keep adding to the mon- uh, to the to the money system. Yeah, and other um, there's been a debate because uh, license plates are made by prisoners. Underwear, um, under underwear. Mm-hmm. Victoria's Secret was under a lot of heat for potentially using prison labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, many companies become, um, you know, scrutinized because they 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 capitalize on on cheap labor. Um, obviously, prisoners are there and they've given up their freedom, right? Because they're they're criminals, right? And and so the, that is a way to keep them captive, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, really interesting. Uh, I think there's a lot of content there to really talk about. You know, in a, in another episode that's covering just the prison industrial complex. But I, I think it's it, it's good to note that you want to use labor and you want them to have a skill that you're giving them. Uh, technically that's what I think they would say mm-hmm. while you're in a privatized system, but you then turn around and um, when they get out, they can't use any of that skill or they were really limited in what they could do mm-hmm. with uh, anything that they've learned or done in prison, which means that they're going to be uh, returning probably to prison at some point later, if they're then falling below the line of poverty, mm-hmm. they don't have a good support system once they get out or they don't have other people that can help, um, you know, uh, give them a life right outside mm-hmm. of, of the prison system. They can't vote. Right. So mm-hmm. now they're in a, in a lot of states they are not allowed to vote. So then now you have people who are going to be ruled over for the rest of their, their lives or maybe a mistake that they made. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gave them a felony. So okay. uh, one other thing I kind of wanted to bring up, although I think it's in, in reverse um, is how many people, I, I think that this is, it always gets kind of blown over, uh, especially in the debates, of what we've seen with George Floyd, Floyd and some of the um, killings by the police uh, 900 to a thousand people annually. And this came from the NAACP are killed by the police. Right. Mm-hmm. And last year, uh, 235 were black, Mm -hmm. 158 were Hispanic or Latino, Mm -hmm. 36 were other, which not defined in race, uh, 202 were unknown races, so they didn't even check whatever box they could. They might have been mixed race. Yeah, mixed race, right? And then you have 370, which were white. Um, And then, like I said before, white people make up 60% of the population, so even though the number is higher for white people... If you make up 60% of the population and you would look at the population of, say, black people, which is about 13%, it's 12.5%, uh, um, you would see that that for 235 people in comparison to 370, when you're only 13% of the population, that's pretty disproportionate. But I, I think that w- what this point is being made is that... Uh, uh, regardless, every life means something. So a thousand people um, that are killed by the police annually, I, I think we, we really need to decide, um, well, what can we do to reduce these, these rates of, of, of um, mortality. mortality when you're encountering a police officer? Well, I look at these numbers and I argue with a lot of people about these numbers. And they're always like, well, you know, more white people are killed or black people are killed or this wasn't killed. He was killed because he's black. And the truth is, um, you have to look at this as a case-by-case scenario. Like, for instance, you can say the police treated this man this way when they arrested him. Look how they treated the white guy who shot the two police officers, right? Who they were pulling him out of the car. I think it was last week. They were pulling out of the car. He wouldn't get out of the car. He ended up shooting and killing both. As opposed to how they treat a black man and say they killed a black man at Wendy's in the parking lot. Problem is, it is indeed a case-by-case scenario basis. And you are not having the same police officer 
arrest the same person mm-hmm. to make a fair comparison. And just like I always tell people, black people, that statement is blanketed in an understanding of a monolith that doesn't exist. Black people are very different. And I think that's why I don't like a lot of social justice fighters because they see black people, but you don't know all black people don't have to be this. There can be a Candace Owens and she is just as black, although I don't agree with her. Police officers are not a monolith. You're going to take each police officer and make it case by case. So I hear the numbers, but more so the numbers aren't the problem because there's always going to be more white people killed, but there are always going to be more because that's just the population. There's going to be a large number of black people killed per capita. And that's based on the policing methods that are, that are incorporated more police in black uh, neighborhoods and the ability to, when you see a black person in a white neighborhood, you say to yourself, what is he doing? Just like all the Karens that say, what are you, what are you doing here? That's a mentality that that spreads Mm -hmm. over. So, um, the numbers are there, but I also think case by case basis has to be understood with the understanding of police and culture. I agree. So on this topic, although I think, you know, podcasts are, are you know, only a, a soundbite, even though we, we speak for like an hour, you know, the thing is, is that there there's so much to unpack when it what comes down to the justice system. And I think we, we, we talked about like how people enter into the justice system. We talked about um, policing, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, the, the rate of people who are killed by the police um, and then also the prison industrial complex. But if you had any parting thoughts on, on just justice and the justice system in, in, in what it, what it means or what it doesn't mean today in America for you, what would those be? Well, we're speaking about social justice as opposed to the justices, right? I think it's a little bit of both because I think I couldn't really take, for me, I think that the justice system itself, mm-hmm. it's wrapped up in in social justice because there, because I feel like there are things and precursors in social justice that put you in a unique situation in the justice system itself. So I think it's I, a little bit of both. I think that... Social justice helps to enforce justice. I say that because if you didn't have social justice, an outrage, um, an exposing of bad police habits, then would George Floyd's police, like the police officer who arrested him, would he be arrested? Social justice is very much needed in the justice system. Mm And it's needed to say, we see you and you still have to represent the people. Um, Justice has been biased since it was written down in this country. It was written by men who said free for all and had slaves and never meant it. Even to this day, they don't because racism has become placism. So what does justice mean to me? Biased and unbiased justice in this country are two different things. I think that um, justice means fair and free for all, as it is written. Uh, How you are arrested uh, with a gun is how I'm arrested with a gun procedure. Procedures made by police officers. Now, what, for instance, Breonna Taylor, there's a gray line that says, um, if I have a no-knock warrant, did I go in there and say, police, 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 did I do that? Or was I silent and I just came in because if there was a procedure and I said, police, 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 then I would have less of a problem with how justice was served in that situation. Now, what does justice mean to me? An unbiased, uncompromised way of dealing with case by case situations as they come. Social justice is a way to enforce that. Mm -hmm. That's my definition. Um, Just, you know, for the kid. <laughs> <laughs> so for for me, even now, I'll just lightly touch on Breonna Taylor, although I think that I need to understand a little bit more about the laws in Kentucky, because I think, you know, people are outraged by the fact that, um, you know, the, the, the only cop the, out of the three cops that were charged was the one um, who was want, he got wanton endangerment for um, 
shooting into other people's walls and not necessarily into the house in which the no knock warrant was being served. Um, I don't know enough about the facts of the case and I'm not saying that it's right. Nobody should be killed in their bed, especially when the person who you're seeking is already incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So I think that there was fundamental problems with the delivery of that warrant that need to be um, definitely looked into. And I think that that's why they paid Mm-hmm. Um, that family, $12 million. Death, right. But I do think that we need to go back and look at immunity for police and in, in not qualified immunity for police officers, in, in, meaning that when they're acting in the line of duty, they get immunity from cr- any crimes they commit. Mm-hmm. The, the problem I have with that is that I don't think that that should be a catch all for all bad behavior. It should be, there should be meaning, um, meaning that, Yes, you should be able to do your job conference com- competently as a police officer and not be afraid that if you act accordingly that you will be, um, you know, criminalized for that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that part. But I do think that it, it has for those folks that are already in a, a way where they're intoxicated with the power. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, it, it comes out and we see that they're acting um with reckless disregard for human life. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that there has to be um, some safeguards and some standards within those type of policies. And I think that that's why um, when a a verdict like this is handed down, we don't see it as justice, right? Because we don't really understand criminal law or Mm -hmm. the fact that there are in many of these States laws that that Mm -hmm. jury, that grand jury Mm -hmm. has to take into consideration Mm -hmm. when they're giving their opinion. And I think that that totally gets blown over whether it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't think that if, if in the case, and this is in Florida and not in Kentucky Mm -hmm. in, in Trayvon Martin's case, Mm -hmm. there was a stand your ground law, right. Mm -hmm. Where they said he stood his ground and that's why he was right full in killing Trayvon Martin when they got into the altercation. Yeah. The thing is, is that the, the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor, if we took that same logic and applied it in Kentucky and somebody you thought was an intruder that may have not announced as a police is shooting into your house or has guns and it's dark and it's in the middle of the night, you might shoot, you might be protecting your household, but we don't know enough facts about what exactly went on. And I'm not making that okay. Um, for what happened in the case of Brianna Taylor. But I'm what I'm saying that to say is that the law is very complex mm-hmm. and justice is very complex. And I think that before we just have judgment, mm-hmm. we need to understand um, what those laws are, be right or wrong, or wrong. And maybe they do, this is the catalyst to make them change in the future. Mm-hmm. And I'm good with that too. I wish she didn't have to die for that catalyst to happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that um, people need to understand the actual law because I think they they want to so quickly um, blame everyone for how it was applied and, you know, instead of really understanding why it might have been applied. Well, I think what people, when they go and they protest, what I would like to see more of is um, a fight for policy change and legislation People always say justice for. Now, when justice happens, say if the officer who shot her got locked up, right? How does that stop the next one? Policy. Laws are complicated. Policy should not be, in my humble opinion. If you have a no-knock warrant and you don't knock, your job at that point is to say police, police, or to say it so many times or with so much, you know, so that the person can hear at a level. If that training is implemented, and someone fires, at that point you can understand, hey, I don't know, I announced myself as a police officer. But if that's not the case and someone busts in your house, and this is the gray line with the Breonna Taylor thing, is like, was that said? Because if that wasn't said, then that man had every right to stand his ground regardless. Regardless of if someone breaks into your house and you are, the human law is survive. I have to survive. You break into my house, I promise you I'm going to light you up. That's just how I'm going to roll. You know what I mean? I have that. So if if it's a police officer, I need to know it's a police officer so I can reserve my sense of survival. And that's where I say the social justice with that needs to have direction. I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think this is a really good conversation. So I thank you for your, your time today. And I think we probably should 
talk more on this subject in a future episode. I'm down, Charlie Brown. Thanks. <laughs>